You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Man, it's so good to be back here at FC. Uh, we've spent the week on vacation with our family, and uh, man, this was just a relaxing, incredible time. And so uh, anytime you're by the beach for so long, I get you know, really kind of antsy. So man, I could not wait to get back and be here with you guys today and uh, continue to, to move forward with all the great plans that God has for us in the coming weeks. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you're new, we've been in a series on the life of David, and so we've seen uh, God anoint him as king. We've seen him fight Goliath last week. We saw him and Jonathan and the, the friendship and the accountability that they were able to share with one another. And, and today is probably the second most famous part of David's life. And so if David and Goliath is the number one, uh, David and Bathsheba, his adultery and the murder that will follow, that we'll see today, is probably the second most popular. Every time I read this, I just want to say, what was he thinking? <laughs> I mean, maybe you have a friend who, who royally messed up. You know, they, they failed morally, they sinned, and it was a big deal. Or maybe, you, I know you've at least read about this in an article of a, of a popular figure or whatever, and maybe it was a sexual immorality, or they stole money, or they conned somebody, and, and uh, came out, ruined their career, ruined, uh, you know, all these things. And, and, and we just scratch our heads sometimes, don't we? We're like, what were these people thinking? Why did he do that? Did he actually think he was going to get away with that? And when I read this story about David, those are all the questions that I ask myself. How in the world did he think he was actually going to get away with this? Not to mention the fact, did he forget who he was? Like he was the king. He was God's anointed king. And and he let this sin and this murder and all these tragic events take place in his life. And as always, when I'm critical or judgmental of somebody else, God quickly points the finger back at myself. Because there's events in my life, and I'm sure there's events in your life where you would look back and say, what in the world was I thinking? I was an idiot. That was dumb. How did I, how did I think I was going to get out of that? Why did I do that? And so with that in mind, I want us to go to this story and realize that as we read this today, none of us in the room are immune to the temptation of sin. Not pastors, you know, people who are, have been Christians for 20, 30 plus years, we're, we're all susceptible to the temptation of sin, and sin has real consequences. And what we're going to see in the life of David today, this huge mistake, adultery, uh, uh, murder, huge mistake here, but that didn't just happen overnight. It was a progression, a series of bad decisions and bad choices that David was making that led him further and further away from the Lord's will in his life, that set him up to make a huge mistake like adultery, like murder. And so with that in mind, let's read this story with an attitude of repentance, an attitude of of God, where are the weaknesses in my life, and where are the areas and sin in my life that I need reflection, that I need repentance. So let's look. This is chapter 11, verse 1. It says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, you might underline that phrase, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. And this is another important sentence you might want to circle. But David remained at Jerusalem. Verse 2, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. He was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, 
the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. And so David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Now just leave your Bibles open as we begin to cover um, many other portions here in this chapter and in chapter 12. But I want to talk to you this morning about how you can become a man of integrity, a woman, a leader who demonstrates a lifestyle of integrity and morality in your life. We're going to see from, from David's failures a few ways that we can protect ourselves and position ourselves in such a way that we can demonstrate integrity in our life. The first thing, if you're taking notes, is if you want to be a leader with integrity, you need to set yourself up to win. Set yourself up to win. David was in the bedroom instead of the battle. Here he is laying on the couch, taking it easy, watching Oprah on TV, while all of his armies are off in war. Look again at verse 1. It's in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to war. And yet, where's David? David remained in Jerusalem. Kings are supposed to go out and fight at this time. He's supposed to be with his warriors, his army, and yet he decided to stay at home, sit on the couch, and guess where that got him? It got him in a huge mess. And so it's really easy. Let's start kind of easy today. Like, like set yourself up to win. In other words, be in the right place you know, in, in, in environments that are healthy and stay away from environments that would lead you to sin, that would lead you to make mistakes, and that are unhealthy. And so as we think about the life of David, he's, he's in this position where he should not have been, which led to this scene. When the Bible says she was beautiful, it literally means that she was pleasing to look at. But David pursues this relationship. He pursues this sin. He gets her to his house and he sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. Now, it's a mistake for you and I to think that we would ever get away with sin. We're never going to get away with sin. Even though it might feel like we are getting away with it, it will always be exposed. And when his sin was exposed, hey, I'm pregnant, he hits the panic button. Right? You've hit the panic button in your life before when you've made a mistake. Sin has been found out, and you're like, holy cow, I'm in trouble. And anytime you're emotional, anytime you're panicking, remember this. Don't make big decisions. Because nine times out of ten, when you're emotional, you'll make a bad decision. you got to calm yourself down. You've got to seek godly advice. You need to surround yourself with godly people as you make big decisions. Never do that in an emotional state. And instead, set yourself up to win. So be in the right place. Go to the places that are going to bless you and encourage you. Being here is the right place. Set yourself up to win. So get in a small group so that you have people around you that are encouraging you and, and lifting you up and holding you accountable and, and, and sharing God's word with you and praying for you and struggling with you. This is what it looks like to embrace a lifestyle that, that pursues Jesus. When David is in the wrong place, he very easily was susceptible to this sin. Now, as a leader, I want to set myself up to win, and, and so I want to make sure that I'm wise in, in where I go and, and how I do it. Let me d illustrate the, the, uh, this point with a story. Uh, I've been married for 16 years, and, and uh, when I met my wife, Micah, um, it, it was kind of one of those moments where I knew 
Like she was the one. I don't know how I knew or what it was, but I knew when I saw her, it was go time. And so um, she uh, was out of college. I had just graduated from college and we didn't really know each other. We knew of each other, but my friend from high school married her friend from high school. And so we were both in the wedding and I show up to the church and in walks Micah and I'm like, this is a game changer. This is, this, is, this is something unique, right? So my whole point for this wedding was to see how I could set myself up to win with her. And so um, my, my, my buddy is getting married, and, you know, he was focused on getting married. He didn't help me, like, get with Micah, right, which I thought was selfish, but he, 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 he kind of focused. And, and so that was barrier number one. How am I going to, you know, position myself here so that this works and and uh, so we're, 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 you know, haven't found the time. We're eating dinner after the ceremony. And, and uh, so I'm thinking, all right, this has got to happen, you know. And so barrier number two is that I had a date and she had a date. <laughs> and so how am I going to, how, how's this going to work? And so I see her get up and she goes into the lobby from, from the room. And I'm like, all right, it's go time, carpe diem, right? So I stand up and I, I go out into the lobby and, and, and I couldn't see her. So I, I assume she went to the restroom. And so here I am. And, and I'm waiting on her to come out. And, and uh, now, let me just pause here for a second. So this is, you know, before cell phones, right? So I couldn't just text her, get her number. I, 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 you know, that, that was not, you know, uh, uh, in at that time. I, uh, there was no internet. There was no Facebook. I couldn't send a, you know, direct message to her, or tweet at her, or like a photo and flirt with her at social media. Couldn't do any of that. Like back in my day, we had to work for a date. Can I get an Amen. For all the guys out there, like we had to work for it a lot harder. But anyway, so here I am I'm in the lobby and I'm looking at the wall art because I don't have a phone to like pretend like I'm doing something. So I'm just standing there like an idiot looking at wall art, probably from Hobby Lobby, like I'm admiring this or whatever. And, and so she walks out and as soon as she walks out, I act like I was just walking in, you know, I was really sly about it. I'm like, hey, Micah, right? Yeah, how's your family doing? Yeah, what are you at? Where are you at? What are you doing? And yada, yada, yada. And at the end of that, I was like, hey, we should hang out and, and just kind of reconnect and see what's going on. And she's like, yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, boom, that was my moment. I was like, yeah. Some of you are hearing this story and you're like, Trent, you're a stalker. <laughs> and some of you are like, bro, that was a good move. And some of you are like, Trent, it's kind of creepy. And, and I would say, shut up. It worked, right? It's a done deal. 16 years, four kids winning, right? And so, so, so I, I say that to, to, to make this point. Like if you want to be a good leader, you've got to be intentional about putting yourself in a position to win, like setting yourself up to win. So when you walk into that woman's office at work or in her cubicle or in her area, you are setting yourself up to lose, because you think that flirting with her is kind of a cool thing. It makes you feel good about yourself and like you're a cool guy or whatever. But what it is, it's putting your feet in the fire, leading you down a very dark path. So to set yourself up to win, in my opinion, it would be stay away from that area. Because that's obviously a, a desire in you that will lead to sin. So as we think through this today, I want to give you you know, as many practical tips and as many practical things that we can grasp onto so that we can overcome and not make these decisions or even put ourselves in a position where those sins would even take place. And so David, let me back up here. David's on the couch, right? Watching TV, eating Cheetos. Things tend to go to a dark place when we are bored. That's why you need to keep your teenagers busy. Keep them active, keep them busy, keep them focused, because anytime teenagers become bored, bad things happen. 
Now listen, a grown man, a grown woman who gets bored will lead to bad things as well. So we want to be engaged in what the Lord is doing in our life, actively pursuing Him, actively pursuing a lifestyle of worship with Him, allowing ourselves to, to, to be set up to win and, and, and to experience God's blessing. Now, here's another thing that we learned about David in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. I want to read this. It says this about David. It says, David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that, and that he had exalted his kingdom For the sake of his people Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. So here's what we know about David David knew that God had given him a platform to win and to be blessed. And with God's blessing came success. And anytime you and I experience success, it can very easily lead us to be prideful. And pride will feed our ego. And when we have an ego that has grown prideful, it's very easy for us to think that we can get away with sin, that the rules don't apply to us, that we can live how we want to live and there won't be any consequences. But there's nothing further from the truth. How do we lead with integrity? We set ourselves up to win. And secondly, we starve our sinful desires. We starve our sinful desires. You know, we went on vacation for a week and we came back and our back porch had all these flowers and, you know, pots with flowers in them and they were all dead. They had starved, you know, essentially because we didn't water them. And, and, and so the same is true when it comes to sin. Instead of feeding our sinful desires, we've got to starve those sinful desires. David is feeding his desire for women. And he's doing this by having more and more wives. He's got a harem. Right? He's got more and more concubines. This is a sin according to Deuteronomy 17. Like This is against God's plan and God's will for his life, but he doesn't uh, adhere to that. He has maybe an addiction to women. He's dealing with lust here. And his lust is, is growing and, and fueling his desire for more women. And one wife isn't enough and two wives isn't enough. And he thinks the next wife will solve that or, or fix that or give him more joy. And, and guess what? That one doesn't Either And now he sees a beautiful woman that belongs to someone else. And guess what? Rules don't apply to me. I can do whatever I want to do. This is going to make me happy. And so he puts himself before God. He puts himself before Uriah. He puts himself before Bathsheba. Ultimately, he puts himself before everything and everyone to get what he desires. You see, oftentimes in our life, we feed our sinful desires instead of fleeing from our sinful desires. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians to flee from sexual immorality and to pursue righteousness. You see, if we're going to get to a point to where we're overcoming sin in our life and we're taking our, our walk with Jesus serious, then we need to make it a habit to put sin to death. John Owen says, uh, put sin to death or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So this idea is that, that we have to pursue Christ and starve our sinful desires. Now, David is dealing with lust. He's feeding those sinful desires by looking, by, by going after her and pursuing her. Verse three says he sent messengers to find out about her, maybe a week. A week goes by, he sends other people to go get her and inquire about her. So he is completely in control of this. He's actively 
manipulating the situation. He's scheming. He's plotting so that he can experience sex with this woman. Now, if there is a lustful desire in you, and, and, and if that desire is being fed by you, it's not going to get any easier. That lustful desire in your heart, when fed, just gets bigger. It grows, grows wider. It's like something inside of your heart that as, as you feed it, as you, as you think about it, it just gets, it becomes a bigger and bigger problem in your life. So, I mean, think about it. Like you, maybe you're struggling with looking at pornography. And so as you look at one image, you know, satisfies you that day, but now you need more. And now you need other venues. And now you don't need images. You need, you know, a real woman. And so it just leads you into darker and darker areas in your life. And so if we want to starve our sin, then it kind of starts with some smaller steps that will help us. And the smaller step might be, and, and listen, I'm not like a, a legalistic kind of pharisaical person where you can't watch this movie and can't do this if it's rated this or whatever. But I am saying that as a follower of Christ, I mean, there is wisdom in, in, in discerning what movies we should look at. And so perhaps if that's a desire, if that's a sinful desire and if lust is an issue for you, and I would think for many men in the room, that's, that's part of our issue like, we need to get to a place to where we, we can begin to limit what we watch, what movies we watch, what TV shows we watch. Because if we're watching movies that glorify sex and that have images and, and sexuality is, is, is rampant, either joking about it or, or encouraging it and it's there, then you're, you're a fool to think it's not affecting you. I mean, if you are watching and viewing this kind of program, then, then it's just feeding the lustful heart within you. And so it grows and it becomes stronger. And your will to pursue righteousness grows weaker. Maybe it's music that you're listening to. And so if you're listening to music that glorifies, you know, sexuality or glorifies, you know, sex before marriage. And, and, and that's just, you know, words and lyrics that you're used to singing and, 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 and the beat and all this kind of stuff. Then, then the reality is you're feeding that lust within you. So I would say be very careful. You know, we, if, if you're a mom or a dad and you don't know what your kids are listening to, you know, you got to check that playlist. You got to see what, what, what's going on there. And they're going to hate it, and they're going to whine, they're going to complain. But you're called to guard their heart. And this is part of protecting them. And while they're in your house and while they're under your care, then you've got to do what's necessary to guard their heart. You don't want to feed that desire, that sinful desire in them. Even at that age, man, they, 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 it's very hard for them to overcome that. It's very hard for grown men and women, right? That's why we have to limit what we take in. We've got we've to also realize that if like getting home and, and, and pulling up my computer is the place where pornography usually happens, I put the kids to bed, I put my wife to bed, and then it's just me. If that alone time is where you're susceptible to that sin, where you're tempted and where you're, that's your go-to, then don't even take your computer home. Don't even turn the computer on. In fact, why not just go to bed with your wife? Don't go to the man cave. Just, just go to bed with her. Read a book. In bed, if, you, if, you're, if you're a night owl, at least watch TV with her in the room. Have some accountability in your life. This is very practical. This is how we starve sin. Once we get it out of our head, once we stop looking at it, listening to it, and seeing it, then God begins to crucify it. God begins to starve it. And at the same time, 
we're also active. We're, we're starving that, but we're also feeding ourselves in a different way, which is to pursue righteousness. So I'm going to fill my heart and mind with Scripture. And so the music that I listen to is, is uplifting and, and spiritual. And so we're going to download the Foothills Church worship album and uh, Hillsong albums and other things that are going to help us think about Jesus. And, and we're going to listen to God's Word. I've got the Bible app that will read the Scripture to you as you go to work or devotions, podcasts. These are the things I want to fill my mind with that will inspire my affections for Jesus and begin to kill sin in my life. Maybe it's alcohol. You just don't know how to, you know, stop and, and you just continue to cross that line, you know, into drunkenness. And then when you get to that point, like that's when bad decisions are happening in your life. That's an easy one. Just don't drink. This is something that you can starve in your life to help you be sober-minded. David's adultery didn't just happen by accident. He was very much in control. It was a series of decisions that he was making that led him to this harmful decision. He's sending people to go find out about it, and it eventually begins to kill him, spiritually speaking. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I mean, there are people in the room that think you're alive and think you're having fun doing this and doing that, and the reality is you know it. Like you feel dead inside. Every time you experience that sin, the height, the energy, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. You experience it, and then you feel dead all over again. That's why people have to medicate themselves with alcohol, medicate themselves to kind of take the, 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 the edge off and, 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 and numb them to the reality of their life. And we don't want to be that person. We want to set ourselves up to win. We want to starve our sin. Now, here's what David does. Instead of confessing his sin... David comes up with a way to cover up his sin, okay? So plan A for David is to get Uriah off the battlefield and get him home and get him with his wife so he can sleep with her. And then, you know, she'll get, she'll be, obviously she's pregnant and then everybody will think it's Uriah's and whew, cover up, completed. Sounds like a great plan. The only reality though here is that Uriah comes home and he's a man of integrity. And he tells David, look, I can't go home and hang out with my wife and be with my wife right now. My, my, my buddies, my brothers are on the battlefield right now. How can I go home and enjoy myself when they're out there fighting so he sleeps at the king's house? Plan B, David says, I'll get him drunk. This will make it happen. So he has a big feast for him. He gives him a lot of wine. Uriah gets drunk. and He's like, all right, man, I guess it's time for you to go home and be with your wife, right? And Uriah, Uriah's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going home. I can't do that. So he stays the night again at David's house. So David sends him back onto the battlefield, and plan C is going to work, right? He comes up with a scheme, a plan to have Uriah killed. Essentially, David tells the commander, Joab, of the army, he says, look, I want you to put Uriah on the front of the battle where the fighting is the harshest. And then I, 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 he even said, I want you to pull back. Let's ensure, you know, that, that he's on his own. And Joab knows exactly what David wants him to do. He wants Uriah to die. And so he obeys the king and puts Uriah on the front lines. And he, and he puts Uriah in a position that he would have never done as a commander. I mean, he was a smart guy. You would never charge the wall like they charged the wall. And sure enough, Uriah dies. Word comes back to David. Hey, Uriah's dead. And David says, ah, oh, well, you know, people die in battle. That's just part of it. Very callous. No confession. No mourning. 
Let's pick up here in verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. So here again, he adds another wife to the mix. And she bore him a son. But listen to this, one of the saddest verses in our text today. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Here is this exciting leader of Israel, a king that is a giant slaying king, a musician, a writer. Success, I mean, is so wide and vast. People know him and his fame all over the area. And yet he is going to hit rock bottom. The worst year of his life, as recorded in Scripture we know about, is about to take place. As he is facing the the guilt of the adultery, the murder, the plotting, adding more wives. Throughout all of this, he never confesses. He just simply tries to continue to cover up his sins. If you're taking notes, number three, if you want to be a leader of integrity, you've got to confess instead of cover up. You've got to confess when you mess up. You've got to confess at work. You've got to confess at home. You've got to confess and own your sin so that God can bring forgiveness and healing and restoration back into your life. But our tendency is to cover up as if we're good enough to cover up our sin, but we're never going to ultimately cover up our mistakes on our own. The scripture says this in Luke 12 too, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and nothing is hidden that will not be made known. So the reality is we are never going to get away with our sin. No matter how sly, no matter how smooth you think you are, it will be revealed. For most of us, it will be in this life. And it may not be today or next week or next month or this year, but eventually it will come out. And if not in this lifetime, it will ultimately come out when we stand before God. Here's the reality. David is miserable for this year. Read the book of Psalms and you will see how many stories, how many songs David writes about his pain. In fact, Psalm 32, verse 3 and 4 says, when I kept silent, this is David writing, when I kept silent, in other words, before I confessed, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I would say that's a good description of what depression looked like. (laughs) For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Day and night, the hand of God was heavy upon him in conviction. Some of you are experiencing that heavy hand of God upon you even today. Maybe you've never accepted Christ into your life or, or, or maybe there's sin in your life that you've not repented of. And so that heavy hand of God is upon you even today. He says, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Man, it's been hot last week or so, hasn't it? You can see the description is real. Like the heat of God's pressing guilt and conviction is upon him. He can feel it in his bones mentally and physically. He's experiencing this depression because the weight of our sin is too heavy to carry on our own. And at this time, we don't have any record of anyone else knowing what's going on with David. But God knows. See, God will use guilt in your life. He'll use that conviction in your life to bring you back to a place of repentance and to restore 
your relationship with him. I've written about this on my blog, but there's such a thing as godly guilt, and then there's misplaced guilt. Misplaced guilt is guilt that we feel for sins that we haven't committed. And then there are, there are also sins that we do commit where God convicts us, and, and this is godly guilt. This is, this is the guilt that we should carry. And it must and it should lead us to humility and repentance. David hears the news that Bathsheba is pregnant, and he had a choice to make. He could have decided to confess and own up to it, but he doesn't. He decides to cover it up. And finally, God sends a man into David's life to confront him. Finally, David is restored. Let's look at chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. So he's telling him a, a story to, to kind of to get his point across and to, to bring David into this discussion. Verse 2, so the rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and he grew up with him, with his children, and used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. So he's got a, he's got a lamb that's basically his pet. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own uh, flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. And <laughs> listen to this. So, so then David's anger was greatly kindled. This ticked him off against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. And we don't have this in the scripture, but I can only imagine the weight of David's sin dropping his head and his shoulders in shame. Nathan knows what he's done. David's heart breaking, his stomach churning. Oh my gosh, I... He knows. I'm the man. I'm, I'm the guy that has had no pity. And isn't it interesting that the man who had this terrible laundry list of sin is so quick to be judgmental and critical of what, what appears to be a, you know, a small crime. Like, okay, that was very, you know, wrong and no compassion. Like you took the lamb, you should have took your own lamb, but it was a lamb, right? David says, you should die. He's going to pay back fourfold. If you have begun to excuse sin in your own life, I promise you this. You have become and are becoming a very critical and judgmental person of other people. That's the nature of sin. The more we slide into it, the more we condone it in our own self, and the more we want to point our finger at somebody else. David was a hypocrite. And there may be some hypocrites in the room today. And you need a Nathan. You need somebody to come into your life to challenge you where you are messing up. And even as painful as that may sound, 
The purpose of Nathan coming to David is reconciliation, restoration. It's to save him from future sins. It's to save him from his own self. Bottom line for today, if you're taking notes, I think this is huge. The right relationship could be the difference that makes the difference for you. The the right relationship could make a huge difference in your life today. See, our vision at Foothills Church is to make disciples of Christ in relational environments. And the reason why that's so important to us is because we see all throughout Scripture that it's in the the relational uh, environment, it's in a relationship that God grows us, that we connect to the Lord in a deeper way. Very rarely do we see people growing isolated from other people. We need each other to grow. We need each other to be encouraged, for people to pray for us, to encourage one another, to look at God's word and give us instruction. If you're not in a relationship where that kind of environment and those kinds of things are taking place, you're not setting yourself up to win. In fact, I say it could be the exact opposite. You see, God sends Nathan to David to save him. And in the same way, God has sent Jesus to save you. And you've been trying to cover up your sins on your own. And you've been trying to figure it out on your own. And you've been trying to run from this relationship to that relationship or this sin to that sin, thinking you're having a good time. But ultimately, you know you're miserable. Your bones are wasting away, just like David. And you've got to come to a point in your life where you realize that you can never cover up your sin. And the only way you can have forgiveness is to apply the blood of Jesus, who he and he alone can cover up your sins. And it's through his blood, it's by a sacrifice that you have forgiveness of sins, that you can walk in newness of life, that you can begin to experience freedom in Christ. And it's through that relationship and that growth you begin to get yourself in the right position here and your relationships begin to change and your thought life begins to change and you have a new purpose and a new hope and a new encouragement but until you like David can come to a place and say I messed up I sinned look at it in verse 13 he says I've sinned against the Lord In other words, this is his confession. Ha, you're you're right, man. I confess, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. So God's grace is not going to kill him at this point. Nevertheless, he says, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went to his house. David confesses, and yet even as his journey of repentance begins, the consequences of his sin still remain. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about how to walk in life with those consequences from bad decisions. There's a series of consequences that David has to face in his family that I hope will be a blessing and encouragement to you. But today, I don't want to leave before I give some of you in the room the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
Because I firmly believe there are people in the room that believe that just because you come to church or just because you went to church as a kid, you think you're going to heaven. But I would challenge you to look at your life today and see if the pattern and behavior of your life is consistent with what a follower of Jesus looks like. Because it's really, really easy for us in our sin to convince ourselves that we're good. We can cover things up, we're doing things fine. And it's not until we examine ourselves and we're smacked in the face with the word of God that we can truly see ourselves for who we are. Have you really given your life to Jesus? Have you really committed your life and have you really truly said, God, I am going to run after you and serve you from this day forward? So I think there are some people in the room that haven't done that. And I wanna give you that opportunity today. Would you bow your heads? I wanna lead you in a prayer that is not a magical prayer at all, but I do believe it's a helpful way to help people who have never accepted Christ to, to make this commitment to him. And so I'm simply gonna say this prayer and, 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 and if you're somebody that wants to make this decision today, I just encourage you to say this to God, make this your commitment. Is this something that, that you are ready and willing to do today? I, I believe that for some of you, this has been a decision that's been lingering and you've known like, hey, this is, needs to happen and you've struggled and even right now you feel the weight of the spirit of God upon you. And it's like, he's speaking to me. He's talking right to me today. And if that's you, man, I, I encourage you, this is your first conversation with God to give him your life. Simply say this, dear God, I confess that I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died on the cross for my sin, and he rose on the third day. Forgive me of my sin, Lord. Come into my life and save me today. Give me the strength to live for you from this day forward. And if you said that prayer today, it is the greatest decision of your entire life and all throughout the room today. I wanna, I wanna ask, if you would be so bold that you would say, you know what? I just prayed that prayer. I meant that prayer. I just gave my life to Christ. If you're here in the room right now, would you just lift up your hands and say, I did that, Trent? Anybody at all? Just be bold enough just to, just, to, just to say, you know what? I prayed. I see you. Thank you. Praise God. Anybody else say, man, that's me? We had a few. I see you over here. Praise God. Slip it up and put it down. I see another. Anybody else? Man, praise God. Guys, I, I just saw, look right here. Guys, I just saw three hands. Can we praise God today? Praise God for you guys and the decision that you made. Here's the deal. Man, I don't want you to walk out of here and feel like you're all alone because you're not. You cannot walk this life by yourself. So when you walked in, you should have received a, a sermon guide. At the bottom of that guy is a connect card. If you didn't, they're in the back. You can grab one. Here's what I want you to do. One of two things. If you just prayed to receive Christ, would you take that card? Even if you didn't raise your hand, 
take that card, fill it out, place it in the giving stations in the back of the room. That'll get to me. I wanna pray for you. I wanna encourage you. I mean, this is the best thing that's ever happened to you in your entire life. This is a big deal. And so we wanna walk with you and show you what this can look like for you. And, and uh, maybe you're here today and you're dealing with sin and, and God's just been heavy on your heart. I wanna encourage you to use this time to confess that, get right with him. We have a room called the prayer and care room. When you walk out the back doors, if you take a left, that room right there is a room that, that we every week have counselors, trained counselors that wanna pray with you, encourage you, help you walk through decisions. Whatever it is God's put on your heart, whatever decision you feel like you need to make, they're there for you. So maybe today before you leave, you stop by, get some encouragement, get some prayer in that room. For others of you, um, this is gonna be an important time as well because even to this point, you still haven't dealt with that sin. And we're gonna close today with the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, we call it communion. It's one of the two ordinances of the church. And two ordinances are baptism and Lord's Supper. These are two things that Jesus said, I want my church to do consistently. Not to save you or to get you know in good graces with God, but to remember and symbolize some important things that have happened in our life. And so when we take the bread, it's a symbol of the body of Jesus being broken for our sin. When we drink the juice, it's a symbol of the blood that Jesus poured out for our sins. I think one of the reasons why we do this, scripture teaches us that when we, when we remember this, we use this time to confess sin and restore that relationship with the Lord. Another reason is because we remember that sin is serious and it took the death of Jesus to pay for our sin, to give us heaven. And so for those of you who maybe just prayed that prayer, this will be the first Lord's Supper that you've ever taken as a believer. It's gonna be amazing. If you've got young kids in the room, it's not for them. It's only for people who have given their life to Christ. And so I'm gonna pray and uh, our ushers are gonna come forward and they're gonna pass you a cup. It's gonna be two cups. They're gonna be stacked. Bottom cup's gonna have the bread. The top cup's gonna have the juice. And I just wanna encourage you as the band comes and leads us in a beautiful song that you just spend some time in prayer and then you take the bread and you take the juice at your own time when you're ready, when you've dealt with whatever God has laid on your heart to deal with today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful for your grace. I am so thankful for my salvation. I'm so thankful, God, for the, the men and, and women that you saved in this room today. God, I pray that they would take that next step of faith and get baptized and take their, their, their walk with you serious. Lord, I pray that as we take this time to remember your sacrifice on the cross, we would be reminded of sin. We would confess that, restore that relationship with you. Lead us out of dark places today, everywhere in this building, Lord. Lead us out of the darkness. Lead us into the light for the glory of your Son, for your glory, for our good, God. Lord, I also want to lift up those who are, who are dealing with unconfessed sin. God, give them the grace to see the error of their ways. Lord, I want to pray for those who have messed up, like David, who, who, who've made some bad decisions in their life and still carry that guilt and shame. May they know today that your grace is sufficient. May they know that when you forgive you wipe the slate clean, that we are a brand new 
person. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to walk in that forgiveness. That it would lead us into a deeper walk with you today. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.